We are in the process as a church family on our Lord's Day worship uh, times. We're in the process of going through the, our philosophy of ministry, the 10 ministry commitments that uh, mark our path. They give us a roadmap to ministry life together, living as a local church. We've come through the first four, um, and today we come to our fifth ministry commitment. Commitments like uh, setting our attention on God in God-centered worship Commitments like focusing our submission on the authority of God's Word. Commitments like our dedication to the mission of Christ, taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations, both locally and globally. And now in this fifth commitment, we are committed as a church family, as shepherds, as under-shepherds here within the flock, to focusing and Living in grace-motivated spiritual growth. Grace-motivated spiritual growth, or if the fancy theological word suits you, sanctification. Grace-motivated sanctification. And the explanation statement that goes under this, you can find these on our website in your membership packet if you're a member here, um, or if you're interested in becoming a member, it's there. These are on the back of our DVD visitors. If you're interested in more information about our church, when you leave out at the Resource Center, we call the Hub. There are little DVDs that talk about our church. These are on the back, and you'll find this little statement. Living a grace-motivated life is not a liberty that allows a believer to choose a lifestyle independent of the Scriptures. Rather, grace is a discipline that increasingly teaches a believer to say no to ungodliness and to hunger for righteousness. While the presence of sin will not be absent until we reach heaven, followers of Christ can be confident that if they confess their sin, God is faithful to forgive and restore the parental relationship between Him and His chosen ones. We are committed as a local church, to grace-motivated spiritual growth. Now, that's an important distinction for us to make. This fifth commitment is a critical commitment. These are all important to our life as a church, but this one in particular is important because of the alternatives. The alternative to a grace-motivated spiritual growth is a self-motivated, self-empowered spiritual growth. Perhaps it's a guilt-motivated spiritual growth. It's a merit-earning spiritual growth. It's a self-righteous spiritual growth. And within the broad spectrum of Christianity, there is error on every side of how believers think and live for spiritual growth in Christ. On the one hand, there are those who are locked into efforting their way closer to God living by a standard either of their own making or of of some deviation from Scripture's teaching, they live in a legal binding relationship attempting to earn a place closer to God. In other words, while they have been made right with God through justification, God's grace to them in declaration of their righteousness, they then live their spiritual growth attempting to get closer to Him. Not understanding That in Christ, we could not be any closer to God than we are. We could not be loved any more than we are. Because we are loved with a love that He has for His Son. We are righteous in Christ. Therefore, we could not be any more positionally righteous before God. 
So while Christian legalism stands on one spectrum, we have what is called by many names, but what is probably best understood as a Christian antinomianism on the other spectrum. So for some of you, I've just entirely lost you with that word in and of itself. Antinomianism simply means a belief that there is no law. There is nothing binding me. In fact, this is an abuse of the grace of God. In fact, this is exactly what Paul was concerned about in Romans chapter 6. That because of the grace of God that makes us right with God, that covers all the sins of our life with the perfect sacrifice and atonement of Christ, that we then would somehow interpret our life in Christ to be devoid of any binding obedience or any commitment to Christ that would be lived out on a practical day-to-day level. So whether we fall on the side of seeking to earn our place closer to God or whether we have rejected and live in some false sense of being outside of any commands of Scripture, we desperately need to be reminded of what is grace-motivated spiritual growth. The Bible speaks of our salvation in three main categories, and they're critical for our understanding this morning. Firstly, which we've already mentioned, is our justification. This is a one-time declaration by God the Judge, who is holy, creator of the universe, standing over us as sinful people under His wrath. In justification, He declares us righteous. This is what has been known as the great exchange, the righteousness of Christ, that is the perfect obedience of Christ, is credited to the account of sinful people like us, separated from God's family, separated from fellowship with Him for eternity. Jesus, taking on human flesh, living as a man, perfectly obeys the law of Christ, or the law of God rather, and in so doing, Christ establishes a righteousness that can be given to others. Now certainly his obedience would do nothing if there was not covering for our sin. And so Jesus in his obedience to the Father humbles himself to the point of death, even the death on a cross. And at the cross he bears the sin and the the wrath for the sin of all who will be God's people. So there at the cross, our sins are covered by his atonement. And in faith, we are justified. When God regenerated you, when He brought life to your dead heart, when He opened your eyes to the glory of the gospel message about Jesus, when you saw clearly that Christ was the only substitute and that you were desperate for a Savior because of your sin, that His righteousness could be granted to you and that that righteousness would be then applicable to your life in standing before God, you were justified. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 are familiar to us if we've grown up around the church by grace we've been saved through faith. In faith, through the vehicle of faith, this justification takes place. This is a past event. This is past tense and it is a once and done conclusion by God. Let me show you this, or let me read this to you from Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul puts himself in the category of the Roman believers, and he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Past tense. 
This is a, a past event that has an ongoing effect upon us. Later in chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood. And then he goes on to say, we, Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. So there is, within verse 9, both the past and the future tense of our salvation. In chapter 8 and verse 30, another familiar portion of the Bible for many of you, Paul says, And those whom God predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And using a a fascinating Greek language tool, Paul uses a past tense with a future implication in the conclusion of that verse and says, And those whom He justified, He also glorified. So if past tense justification has happened, future tense glorification is as good as done. That's what Romans chapter 8, verse 30 tells us. Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, Paul's talking about the message of the gospel needing to be preached to those who would respond in faith. And he says in verse number 10 of chapter 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified. The judge says, not guilty. And not just not guilty, but righteous in my standing. So the cross of Christ, apart from the obedience of Christ being given to us, the cross of Christ merely gets us to neutral. It eliminates our sin, but it does not produce the righteousness of God in us. And so Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21, God made Christ to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So firstly, Scripture talks about us being saved. Past tense. Secondly, Scripture talks about us being saved, present tense, and the theological word would be sanctification. That is, the ongoing sanctifying process, the setting apart of God's people who have been made righteous and declared righteous, the process of them being set apart in that righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 speaks to this present tense sanctification that is ongoing in the believer's life when Paul says for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God the gospel for us who are being saved we have been declared righteous and we are being made righteous progressively in our practical day-to-day lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, later in the same letter, Paul comes back to this same theme of the ongoing salvation that is taking place in our sanctification when he says in chapter 15 and verse number 2, and by which you are being saved. This is the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, past tense, in which you stand before God, present tense, justification, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the Word. 2 Corinthians is the final section where we see this same theme or one of the final places that Paul references this active salvation in our sanctification process. Verse number 15, Paul says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So there are two groups of people in the world amongst the living. You are being saved 
or you are perishing. You are progressively dying or you are progressively being made righteous because you have been declared righteous. So there is past tense, I was saved. There is present tense, I am being saved. And there is future tense, Romans chapter 8, again, verse 17 and verse 30. Glorification, the future event with the finality, I will be saved. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. And for our purposes this morning, it's important to realize that these are interwoven, they're interconnected, but they are not the same. If they are the same or if they are confused, then we will have an ongoing justification, which is not the case. We are not ongoingly becoming righteous in our standing before God. That is accomplished. It's done. It's over. By faith, the perfect life of Christ has been credited to our account because His perfect substitutionary death at the cross has covered our sin. We are righteous in God's presence. A progressive justification is an ongoing working our way to being right with God. And we will never accomplish that task. Though false religions abound that claim an ongoing progressive justification, let it be duly noted this morning, we are justified in the past tense if we're here this morning as followers of Christ. And yet we are being sanctified in the present tense. So in other words, what we are in heaven because of the declaration of God, we are on an ongoing basis as believers living out and becoming and showing. As my mentor and discipler and pastor David Wickham would often say, we are becoming what we are. This is the process of the Christian life. This is spiritual growth. This is our calling as we live on this earth. This process is the ongoing day-to-day battle with sin, walk in faith, becoming righteous because we are declared righteous. Living the righteousness of Christ that has already been credited to our account for our declaration as righteous in God's presence and which will be realized in the future in our glorification. And all of that is set up to Philippians chapter 2. Because we are committed as a local assembly to grace-motivated spiritual growth. And I believe that this is necessary. And Philippians chapter 2 is one of the passages that makes it so clear that we must hold this commitment unwaveringly. If there's one big idea, if you're a note-taker this morning and there's a theme that kind of stands as an arch over top of this topic, it's this. The grace of God, the grace of God is the basis for, the source of, and the motivation in the Christian's active growth in righteousness. The grace of God is the basis for, it's the source of, and it's the motivation in the Christian's active growth in righteousness. And Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, validate that claim. Let me say that one more time. The grace of God, the gospel, if you will, the grace of God through Christ is the basis for, source of, and motivation in the Christian's active growth in righteousness. And every word 
is intentional in that big idea. Let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, and let's see that statement, that indicative, that statement of fact. Let's see if that proposition holds up under the weight of the biblical assessment. Verse number 12 of Philippians chapter 2, coming off of the great doctrinal explanation from Paul of the humanity of Christ and then the subsequent exaltation of Christ after his obedience. Paul says in verse number 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. For if I am to be poured out, verse 17 says, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Now the first four verses of this section or first five verses of this section, give us, I believe, all of the proof necessary to be committed as a local church to grace-motivated spiritual growth. Let's, let's pray and ask God to help us. We're going to spend just a few minutes unpacking this paragraph, and then we'll go this morning. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time. I sense so desperately right now the need for strength and power from You. So that your word is clearly communicated and then humbly received. May we be hearers and doers. And may we be motivated by grace. To the glory of your name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Truth number one that comes out of these verses. Number one, growth, spiritual growth, is expected because of past grace. Grace from God is the basis for, source of, motivation in the Christian's active growth in righteousness. And, firstly, growth is expected in the believer's life because of past grace. Notice verse number 12. Therefore, draws us back to the context of the verses preceding these verses, where Paul has recounted in verse number 9, God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, as in because we are the people who already are engaged in bowing our knees and confessing Him as Lord, now let's look at these words from Paul. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Grace, and and God's grace in the past, is the basis upon which Paul is expecting grace in the present. Obedience in the past is the basis upon which he is expecting obedience in the present. It is growth because of, or expected growth because of, past grace. Paul calls these people his beloved That's a term that is beyond just saying we're good friends. 
This is a term of endearment because they are in Christ with Him. And throughout Philippians, Paul has this, this, um, this uh, network that he keeps coming back to. Paul and the Philippian church and Christ. And he just keeps mixing that together. And here he does the exact same thing. He calls upon them for obedience because of the past grace that is at work in them. As you have always obeyed. Past tense. This is a pattern of life because of the grace of God in them. They are beloved by Paul and his fellow believers. They are obedient. Past tense. And they have obeyed in His presence. That is also past tense. Thus, His letter to them and His words much more in my absence. So, Paul looks backwards as he gets ready to command present obedience. He is about to command spiritual growth from these believers. And growth is expected because of the past grace in them. Now, we come to kind of the crux of this verse and what is the most difficult portion of this verse when we come to the end in the last phrase of verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here then is the command expected because of the past grace of God in these believers. Paul now says, work out your own salvation. Be careful. This does not say... Work up your salvation. Or even work in your salvation. But rather, work out your own salvation. And the key here is the possession of the readers. Those that are reading this letter, Paul is assuming they possess salvation. They are to work out what is already true. What is already theirs. They are already saved by the grace of God through the perfect obedience of Christ, His substitutionary death, and His victorious resurrection. They have come by faith, turning away from their own righteousness, turning away from their own wisdom and their own way, and turning away from their sin. They have come in faith to Christ. And therefore, they have their own salvation. It is their possession. And because it is their possession, Paul now calls upon them to work out that possession. In other words, to put on display what is already theirs. They are saved. Therefore, they must put on display the work of God through the grace of God in the present tense. They must be becoming what they already are from heaven's perspective. And the attitude with which they do it is with fear and trembling. Humility before God. Understanding and recognizing their desperate condition apart from grace. Fear and trembling, if we just take a moment and get a, get a picture of that in our brain, if you saw somebody, if I was up here in front of you with fear and trembling, literal trembling, as in my knees are smacking together, which I haven't had happen since I think I sang a solo in church when I was like 10. Man, I was with fear and trembling. <laughs> Appropriately. Everyone else had fear and trembling too. If I'm standing in front of you or if you are put up here, some of you, if we just walked you up here and turned you around and you had to open your eyes, there would be fear and trembling. Your body would quiver. 
You would not be able to talk without your jaw moving and making you sound very funny. Paul here says that that fear and trembling, not a dread of punishment, but that fear and trembling is the humility of one who has eyes that are open to the glory of God. God is to be feared. Isaiah chapter 6, woe is me, is the natural response to those who are in the presence of God. So the believers are assumed to be working out, putting on display what past grace has accomplished in them. They are to be putting that out for others to see with fear and trembling, with the attitude of humility from those who already recognize God for who He is. So the assumption of our commitment as a church family to grace-motivated growth is the presence within the members of Grace Church of God's grace in the past. Justification already taking place. Regeneration already happening in us. So we are assuming that we are alive with grace from God. And therefore, we bow under, submit under this command to work out our salvation because it is already accomplished. The grace of God is the basis for, the source of, and the motivation in the Christian spiritual growth. Number two truth that comes right on the heels of this past grace is that growth is not only expected because of past grace, but it is accomplished with present grace. Notice what Paul says and explains in verse number 13. Here's the great paradox of the Christian life. Because you have salvation, work that salvation out, and here's the explanation in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, we are to be actively pursuing righteousness. Many of us stumble and are immature and unfruitful in our spiritual lives, firstly because we're lazy. But recognize with Paul in verse number 13 that any and all pursuit of righteousness is initiated by and strengthened for from the hand of God Himself. For it is God who works in you both to will, that is to want, to desire, and to do, to work for His good pleasure. Here then is the marvel of growth in righteousness for those who have been made righteous before God. God brought new life to us at regeneration. And He blessed us with the declaration of righteousness that is our justification in the past. But that grace did not stop. The Gospel did not stop its work then. It continues today. Because it is the Gospel and the grace of God flowing through the Gospel that brings us this promise from Paul. God is at work in all who have been justified so that they are present tense growing in grace. Both desire and energy for growth and righteousness, for obedience, are derived from God's work in you. John MacArthur says, we are working out because God is working in. We are putting on display Because God is at work on the inside. Our hearts are being transformed and our hearts have been transformed by the gospel and the ongoing effect of that transformation is the fruit that we are bearing 
in working out our salvation. We work at obedience because and through God's grace active in us. Now, this is standing in direct opposition to the common notion of passive sanctification, passive spiritual growth. In other words, I'm just going to let go and let God. I can't, but God can. I call it the zap sanctification. God, I would like to stop doing this tomorrow. So I'm going to sleep now. And I assume when I wake up that the zap will have happened. And that I will no longer disobey you in this particular habit of sin. No, we are called to work, labor, toil. Colossians 1.29 is a fascinating cross-reference. There's just a few pages over. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Here's the... Here's the glorious truth of the present ongoing work of the gospel in us. The gospel established something past tense about us, that we're righteous before God, but the gospel continues to provide a desire for righteousness and the energy to live in righteousness. So growth is accomplished with present grace. We do live under Christ. We are not antinomianism. We are not apart from a law. We have the law of Christ given to us, which we studied in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. We are bound in our conscience to the Word of God as the basis of our lives. But we are not earning anything with our obedience. We are not meriting anything from God. He is not any more impressed with you because of obedience than He he is impressed with you now because His impression with you is based upon His Son. So if you've considered that God sits in the heavens and sees whether He made a good choice in bringing you to Himself based upon your performance, understand that growth in righteousness for Christians is not a performance It is not judged by God with a checklist. It is not given a grade. But it is powerfully worked in us from Him, giving us grace to want to obey and grace to obey. And the miracle of it all is that He then rewards obedience out of His grace. Ongoing grace is at the center of our growth. Our real Active, laboring to put on display what is already true in heaven about us. We have been saved. We are being saved. We are being sanctified by grace. And thirdly, what we see here is that growth is realized in future grace. And this is fascinating. Look at the list of things. I mean, when we think of working out our own salvation, we probably would not pick verse 14 as the kind of theme verse of our spiritual life. But it's exactly what the church at Philippi needed to hear. And I trust the Holy Spirit intends for it to be exactly what we need to hear this morning as well. If God is at work in you, both to want and to work for His good pleasure, for His delight in seeing us live out the righteousness of His Son, being Christ-like in our lives. Notice verse 14 and how that's seen. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. There was a big complaining problem 
at Philippi. And I know that none of us complain, but surely we know others who do. Why? So that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How many of you have thought about your complaining as a direct contradiction to the gospel? As in like you complain and then you tell someone about Christ and you've just done opposite things. Paul says your tongue and the way you talk and the way you question authority and the way you balk at authority is defying God's work in you both to will and to do what is bringing him pleasure. So stop complaining. Stop questioning so that you shine as a bright light in the world. Holding fast is the second description to the word of life. That is the ongoing faith of the believer. One step in front of the other one. Believe in Christ. Why? Here's the future grace. So that in the day of Christ, future tense, when he comes back to judge the world, Paul may be proud that he did not run in vain. What does he mean by that? Well, he did not labor in vain. Paul here is saying that if this work of God that has taken place in the past tense at justification, which is ongoing in sanctification by His grace in both events, if it will come to its fullness, it will be in glorification at the day of Christ. It will be in the perfection of the saints who are the holy ones being made holy. And Paul will have the joy of knowing that he has given his life for the kingdom of Christ. And there's fruit in that labor. He did not run chasing the air, but rather the glory of God will be seen in the glorification at the day of Christ of these Philippian believers. So it will be fully realized, grace will be fully realized in the future. Our spiritual growth will culminate in the future. This is why John warns us that anyone who says they don't sin is a liar. Glorification is not presently taking place in us. It doesn't happen at our justification. It doesn't happen ultimately in our sanctification, though we are more and more like Christ. It happens when we see Him as He is and we're made like Him. The presence of sin removed, matching what has already happened in the power of sin being removed from us through God's grace. So what has been initiated by God in the past, empowered by God in the present, will be completed by God in the future. This is why Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We must be committed to a grace-motivated spiritual growth. Or our default will be a self-motivated spiritual growth. And the frustration that accompanies trying to gut out righteousness is something common to all of us. All of us have seen our sin. All of us have foolishly turned to our own strength and our own wisdom to try to overcome sin. And all of us who have done that, myself included, have faced the frustrating reality that we do not, apart from grace, have the power, the desire, and the energy to do what brings pleasure to God. 
to put on display the saving work that he's already accomplished. So grace from God is the basis for, source of, and motivation in our Christian growth. We live in the gospel, present tense, because the gospel is the vehicle by which we've received grace and we continue to receive grace and we will receive glorifying grace. So I suppose there's just three questions that are appropriate to ask here at the end of our time. Have you known past grace in regeneration and justification? Have your eyes been opened to your sinful, desperate condition? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, that the first mark of His people is spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the spiritually impoverished. Have your eyes been opened to your poverty in the presence of God? And then, have your eyes been opened to the glory of His Son, whose perfect obedience, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection are all applicable to you through faith? And have you received past grace from God? If so, then secondly, do you daily apply grace to your pursuit of righteousness? Do you live applying grace? This is so challenging to us. This is why we give resources like gospel meditations for men because we are so prone to think of the gospel as a past event. That it's, it's a set of facts that are just for the beginning. They're not for now. Well, of course they're for now because grace is the basis of source in and motivation for growth in our lives. And grace comes through Christ in the message of the gospel. Are you preaching the gospel to yourself daily? Are you applying the gospel of grace in your pursuit of working out your salvation? Not working your salvation, but putting it on display because it's already your possession by God's grace. And then thirdly, practically, what are the means of grace for applying the gospel daily? How do we do this? What are the basics of applying the gospel couple passages to write down for study this week. Number one, the gospel armor. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Paul uses the picture of a soldier suiting up for battle, and he talks about the gospel. It's the gospel. It's walking in faith. It's, 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 the, it's the, the breastplate of righteousness. It's the basics of the gospel being utilized in the picture of armor which is a part of how we understand applying the gospel to our daily lives. We must live in gospel reality. Number two, gospel thinking and belief. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. We often sell ourselves. We, we listen to the old master. We enslave ourselves. We walk over and slip our hands back into the cuffs and try to close the cuffs again in bondage to sin. And Paul says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. So gospel thinking comes from gospel truth. Prayer, the Word of God studied, the Word of God preached, worship together, worship in private, fellowship and membership within within a local assembly of believers, communion with that local gathering of believers, all of those are means of grace to keep us centered in the gospel and in the grace of God in our spiritual growth. 
Dan referenced the passage, we'll end with this, and the team will come back and lead us in a few songs of praise to conclude our time. John chapter 17, high priestly prayer of Christ. Jesus says something about us, and then he prays something for us. He says something is true, and then he prays for something to be true. And notice what what he says. Verse 16, John 17, verse 16. They, he's talking about you and me. If you're in Christ, we are a part of this prayer. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus says we as his people are of a different citizenship. We are not of the world. We have been transformed. We have been brought into a new family. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. We are not of this world, just like he is not of this world. And then he prays after making that declaration of who we are. He prays that we would be progressively becoming what we are. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, make them what they are. They are not of this world. Set them apart from this world And to your name, Father, Jesus prays and then concludes with these powerful words which we are so prone to disbelieve. Your word is truth. The means of grace that motivates sanctification and our ongoing progressive growth in working out what is already ours in Christ. The basics of grace come to us through the truth of God's word. This is why we give our attention so carefully to this book. This is why we submit our lives before this book, both as individuals and as a body. This is the basics of grace-motivated spiritual growth. Commitment number five for us as a church family. The grace of God is the basis for, source of, motivation in, the Christian's active growth in righteousness, becoming what we are. And if you're here with us and you are not in Christ, we invite you to believe, to turn. The Bible says the word repent. Turn away from what you're trusting and place your confidence in Christ. Take up a cross. Die to yourself and follow a new master, the Lord Jesus himself, who is highly exalted and will return to judge. Father, thank you for our time as a church family this morning. What a special time this has been. Just totally unique for us because we got to celebrate so much of what you accomplished through just practical, functional, really kind of Western Christian things like camp and VBS, River of Life outreach. Such a special time, but it is... It is not any different than any other week when we've come together because ultimately we are looking back at past grace, we are seeking to live in present grace, and we are anticipating future grace. So we pray that as we conclude our worship, our hearts would be filled up with gratitude for what has happened, confidence in what is happening, and a sure hope in what is to take place in Christ. Help us to be motivated by your work in us so that as we work out, we are doing so in the power that you are working in. 
so that you get all of the glory. So that we can say with Paul that here in these cracked pots, in these jars of clay, there's a treasure of your grace through the message of your Son in the power of your Holy Spirit. So that all the glory is obviously yours. Do this work because only you can do it. We pray and submit ourselves to you in the powerful living name of Jesus.